fan of the computer <laughs> i'm not a fan of the computer right now either uh, anyway we're recording welcome for the second time to the fourth episode we are currently re-recording episode four because we still do not have our stuff together or as harry would say due to technical difficulties <laughs> i'm not gonna make it <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Brian, we had a listener write in. Really? About your story last week in Case Cross. And this is what they had to say. Perfect. So, Case Cross is north of the cemetery. When I was a kid, my best friend lived on Mutton Hollow Road. We would ride horses down there. It's kind of a huge hollow. A girl we went to school with lived down there, and we would go and talk to her. Her family was polygamist, huge apple orchards down there. One day, she didn't get on the school bus, and we didn't see her anymore. We found out her parents were giving her to an older man for marriage. She had ran away and was taken in by another family and never went back. The parents really couldn't do anything about it. Maybe 10 years ago, she was on TV talking against polygamy. This is a long post, but you, can, you can't go down there. I think the Kingstons still own it, and people have been met with guns telling them to stay out of there. Just thought you would be interested. That's crazy. Yeah, so, a little story. Well, I don't know if I talked about it during the episode last week, but I believe a lot of people have their theories saying that they believe the Kingstons were the ones that blew the cross up to try and get people to stop coming there okay that makes sense so if they don't want people to be there and that's why people are coming yeah. yeah there's a lot of theories behind it thinking that they're the reason that it got blown up okay cool so all right well that's that man yeah um anyway so we just want to kind of to touch on um nicknames for the listeners to start off uh we got a Whole three suggestions. <laughs> One of them that we did like was Frady Cats. Yeah, that's Drew. <laughs> we kind of thought it was cute or not cute. You guys are badasses. <laughs> <laughs> we thought it was fun. Um, another one we had was our black eyed children. That sounds like our kids. <laughs> uh, our little horrors. Not to be confused with whores. No, definitely don't confuse the horrors with the whores. Um, and the last one that I wanted to give an honorable mention to, the squids. Sydney, you're the only squid for me. I don't think we'll be using that one. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we do want to give it a couple more weeks and... Hopefully get some more suggestions, and then we'll put a poll up on our Instagram and Facebook and see which ones you guys like. Yeah. Anyway, thanks everyone that has been listening. Um, we do appreciate it, and we've gotten a couple of reviews on, I think it was Apple Podcasts or whatever, so we do appreciate that. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. <laughs> we appreciate that. We appreciate that stuff. We appreciate that. <laughs> And it does help us um, get more recognition and get us out there. So anyone that does have the time, if you could just take a second to rate the show, review it, share it, we would appreciate that. Yeah. So with that being said, I'm going to tell my story first. 
So before I start my story, I wanted to give you guys like a listener discretion warning. Um, This story is very gory, a lot of blood and guts, some sexual deviancy. So if that's not something that you're wanting to listen to or it makes you queasy, please feel free to skip ahead to Brian's portion of the episode um, and we will see you then. Otherwise, be ready to enjoy slash not enjoy my story. My story this week is about Ed Dean. He was also known as the Butcher of Plainfield and the Ghoul of Plainfield. There are some movie characters I'm going to tell you about that were based off of him and his crimes. So Norman Bates from the movie Psycho. Or Bates Motel on Netflix. Bates Motel on Netflix. Hannibal Lecter and Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs. Or Joe Dirt. <laughs> yeah, I think, was it Buffalo Bill in that? Or was it, was it Buffalo, Buffalo Bob? Bob. <laughs> Buffalo Bob, Buffalo Bill, same thing. Same, same. Um, and Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. All of these murderers, villains, or whatever in these horror shows um, take characteristics of Ed Gein's and put them into their little psychopaths. Do his, I don't think he really had family after the fact, but do you think they would get royalties off of like them making these characters and movies and stuff off of him? I don't know. I don't know how that would work. That's kind of weird to think of, huh? I, it just <laughs> popped in my head. I was like, I wonder if they just like did anything. There. I would hope that murderers do not get royalties for their stories just because they suck. That is true. <laughs> okay, so all those movie killers based off the real-life monster known as Ed Gein. He was born August 27th of 1906 in La Crosse, Wisconsin. His parents were George and Augusta Gein. He had one older brother named Henry George Gein. His mother, Augusta, was, a, was an extremely devout Lutheran. Like, to the extreme devout Lutheran. His father, George, was an abusive alcoholic, and Augusta hated him. But because of her religious beliefs, she was unable to or refused to divorce George. So unable to or refused to, like, due to her religious beliefs? Yeah, so basically her beliefs were, like, so against divorce that she just refused to do it because she didn't want to go against those beliefs that she had. Yeah, so even like even if you're not happy, it's just like, eh, just continue to not be happy. Yeah, just deal with it. Augusta would teach her boys from the Bible every day. She would tell them about the immor- immorality of the world and the evils of drinking like their father. And all the women, besides herself, were promiscuous instruments of the devil. She's the one and only angel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she would read to the boys out of the Old Testament in the book of Revelations concerning death, murder, and divine retribution. Which, if you guys would have listened to the first time, you would know what divine retribution was. I listened the first time and I still have no idea what it means. <laughs> <laughs> so, I also didn't know what it means because I guess I'm just not religious enough or... I didn't pay attention when I did go to church as a kid, Um, but divine retribution is a supernatural punishment of a person, group of people, or just everyone by a deity or like a god in response to some action. Many cultures have a story about how a deity exacted punishment upon previous inhabitants of their lands, causing their doom, such as like Noah and the Ark. Or... Thanos, in the snap of his fingers, (laughs) wiping out half the population. George was unable to keep a job. He just did a bunch of odd jobs, really. And um, he worked as a carpenter, a tanner, like for animal skins, and an insurance salesman. So did they say why he couldn't keep a job? Was it due to, like, his alcoholism? or? That's kind of what I gathered, but they didn't really come out and say it. But it they kind of led into that, like, yeah, it's he's an alcoholic, he's abusive, and he can't keep a job. Okay. 
just a fun person to be around. Sounds like it. <laughs> so in some of the sources I read, like a couple of them said he owned a grocery store and a couple of them said that Augusta owned a grocery store. But my thought is, is they're married, so they probably both owned the grocery store. Yeah. Either way, they um, sold that store to move to Plainfield to um, a 195-acre farm. That's a big old farm. Yeah, and it was kind of like out in the middle of nowhere, super small town. Um, Augusta could have control over her kids and their lives. Makes so sense. The boys were not allowed to go to school or they were not. Wow. You wow. guys would not go to school. Our kids would love that mom. My kids would be so happy. They'd be like, you're the <laughs> best mom ever. Right? You will not go to school. You will stay home. What I meant to say was Augusta only allowed her boys to go to school and then they had to come back home. Like they weren't allowed to make friends or when they did try to make friends. I don't know if I actually told you this in the first one, but. When they did try to make friends, um, she would actually punish them. You did not say that in the first one. Yeah, so she was a little cray-cray. Yeah. <laughs> she um, made sure they were unable to have friends and no outside temptations of the world. This by being on this huge farm. They were always doing chores. They could only go to school and home. Um, the dad was basically useless. He was no help on the farm and then by 1937 he was completely dependent on the family and he drank away most of their money bang so ed was very effeminate from a young age he also had like a growth on his eye that made made it droop and because of this ed was bullied by his classmates they remember ed as having strange mannerisms he would often laugh randomly as if he was just laughing at his own personal joke. Like you. With <laughs> Polly earlier. <laughs> I told myself a joke earlier, you guys. And then I laughed so hard at myself and realized I was in the room by myself telling myself a joke. <laughs> <laughs> um, despite all of this, Ed actually did okay in school. He was per particularly really good at reading. Like he really enjoyed it. So, at the age of 10, Ed walked in on his parents slaughtering a pig, and he became aroused by the sight of this. Ew. Yeah. So, Some weird bestiality crap or something. <laughs> well, I don't know if it was, it was his mom slaughtering the pig. They kind of thought maybe that had something to do with it. He did mention that this was the first time that he actually ejaculated. So it's just, and I don't know if that memory just really messed with him or what, but. So we go from you're my sister to you're my mom. <laughs> <laughs> There's a trend here. It in the family. <laughs> so at the age of 12, Ed's mother actually caught him masturbating in the bath. And to punish him, she grabbed his genitals, squeezed them and called them the curse of man. Anyway, so George often beat Ed, um, and these are Ed's words, until his ears would ring. Huh. So, I mean, he was not a great dad. And, like, a lot of the times Ed would be being bullied at school. He would come home, like, crying, and instead of, like, comfort or whatever, his dad would beat him. Seems like a lot of these ser serial killer stories and stuff you talk about their father figures not really great towards them yeah and like there's so there's like kind of not like a criteria to become a serial killer but like there's like a list and i'll have to look it up and maybe do an episode on it but like um characteristics basically or like backgrounds of serial killers are all very similar yeah so it kind of like uh, bad childhood childhood trauma head injuries which i mean his dad's beating his head yeah. till his ears are ringing so i mean probably had a concussion or two so probably so on april 1st of 1940 at the age of 66 george died of either heart failure due to his alcohol alcoholism or 
pneumonic fluid on the lungs. Of all the sources I read, I kept getting conflicting of how he died. But either way, he died in 1940. And this is the part where we tell you it's a pick his fate. <laughs> Did he die of alcoholism, heart failure, or pneumonic fluid on his lungs? You'd be the judge. So Ed and Henry began doing odd jobs around town to help cover like the living expenses on the farm and everything. Um, they were known around town for being like honest and trust trustworthy, like good guys. Ed would often babysit for neighbors, which he actually really enjoyed and related more easily to the kids. Yeah. And people actually liked him to babysit their kids. Which is weird to think about knowing all the stuff that he did now. <laughs> right. There was no proof of him ever hurting a child so yeah. i don't know that they were ever in danger i think he really did just relate more to children kind of had that more of a child mindset i guess yeah like um after reading about him and stuff a lot of like neighbors and townspeople like he was just really odd and awkward but not very smart but i also kind of feel like it's conflicting because he read a lot and did well that way. Seems so, well educated that way. Yeah, but he did drop out of school. I want to say when I read it, it was in the eighth grade. So I mean, he didn't get like a full education. Yeah, but he did enjoy reading, and we'll talk about that in a bit. So um, in 1942, Ed had to travel to Milwaukee for the draft because the war is still going on at this point. Yeah, and he's of age that. I mean, he's older. He's like 36. Something like that, yeah. But he's still in that age range that he can be drafted. Um, he was rejected by the draft due to the growth on his eye. Um, it impaired his vision. So he was not able to be drafted. He's like, whoo! He's like, ah! Dodged a bullet Dodged there. that bullet. <laughs> Probably a lot of bullets. So, and Milwaukee is actually the furthest that um, Ed ever traveled, which was 150 miles from his home. So he didn't even get to explore very much. I mean, he explored, just not well, the way not we want far. to. Um, Henry began to worry about Ed's attachment to his mother. Ed basically worshipped his mom. He was He was very obsessed with her. And when Henry began to criticize their mother, Ed was very like shocked and horrified that henry would even talk about their mom like that and he really was not not happy about it so on may 16th 1944 henry and ed were burning vegetation in the marshland near their farm and um the fire got out of control and the fire department had to come and put it out at which point ed reported henry missing and when the police arrived, Ed actually led them right to his body. Like, he's like, he's missing. But here he is. Found him! <laughs> um, Henry was found face down near the marsh. He was unburned by the fire, but it was determined that he died of asphyxiation from the smoke of the fire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure he did. <laughs> so they actually found bruising on his head. But the police dismissed the notion of foul play because they didn't think Ed was capable of killing anyone. So they ever find out or anybody find out like what he killed him with? So they never actually come right out and say that he killed him because it was never investigated. Yeah. But they're pretty like in all the sources I read, it was like everyone's pretty sure that he killed him. Yeah. I was curious what he would have done, like, if it was just with his bare hands and just beat well, him? Or... With the bruising on the back of his head, I'm, a sh I'm sure he hit him over the head with something. Yeah. Is what it sounded like to me, but they didn't really investigate it because they didn't think he would kill anybody. Neither did Henry. <laughs> and look where that got him. Dead. D-E-D. Dead. <laughs> um, not long after Henry's death, Augusta had her first stroke. And at this point, Ed really dedicated himself to, like, taking care of his mom and making sure she was doing well. Um, but in 1945, Augusta had a second stroke and her health rapidly declined. 
By December of December 29th of 1945, Augusta died at age 67, leaving Ed devastated and alone. And this is really where Ed just starts to lose it and go downhill. Sucks. I mean, we're pretty sure he killed his brother, but that's all they were really sure of at this point. That's because you don't talk about mama that way. Yeah. (laughs) And mama thought everybody... Everybody and everything was the devil. That foosball. That's that foosball. <laughs> that's the them, them girls are the devil. Oh, goodness. So at this point, like after she died, Ed boarded up most of the rooms in the house uh, to basically preserve just like how his mom left them. So it was like basically a museum of his mom's life. And he boarded up all but like the kitchen and one other room. And less cleaning. He did not clean, as we will find out. In fact, in a lot of the sources that I read, I seen that um, after his mom died, his uh, hygiene went downhill as well. Like It's like he just didn't take care of himself. Uh, His mom had to tell him to do that before she died. (laughs) So um, Just don't use the turtle's toothbrush. Oh my gosh, no. <laughs> oh, you want to tell that one? Sure. So, this morning, getting ready to go to work, and the kids got up to get ready for school. And when I came back in the house from starting my truck, I walk in the room and look in our bathroom and notice Grayson has the toothbrush that Lennon uses to give Shelly, his turtle, a bath with. (laughs) Full of toothpaste, brushing his teeth completely in his mouth. (laughs) To the point where I don't know how long he's been brushing already, but the second I saw it, I was like, dude, you need to get that out of your mouth and brush with the regular toothbrush, and hopefully you do not get sick. Well, the fact that he would even pick up a toothbrush that's not his grosses me out. Right? And I've told him many times, make sure you're grabbing your toothbrush. <laughs> he don't care. His mouth is gross. His mouth is salmonella fresh. <laughs> now I don't know where I'm at. Okay, so um, Ed, like I said, he liked to read. And he would read a lot of books about like the female anatomy um shrunken heads grave robbing and experiments performed in nazi camps so he was like really into all this stuff and um into the female anatomy like i said he was really effeminate when he was younger and he actually ad- admitted to like uh, the psychiatrist or therapist or whatever that he had wondered what it was like to be a woman like as he when he was younger and stuff so which you'll see later on in the story as well so he's reading about all this stuff and his loneliness like it really starts to get the best of him he's visiting the cemetery where his mom's buried all the time and he's just he's he is very upset (laughs) yeah and he ends up digging up his mother's body and this is kind of gross but he removes her head and shrinks it using methods he's read from books. Did he put it on a shelf so then it can sing? I ain't got nobody. Yes, nobody cares for me. That's not a shrunken head, though. That's just a head. Same thing. <laughs> it was pretty Abby normal. <laughs> You're Abby normal. <laughs> um. So, yeah, he's shrinking heads he starts digging up bodies he claims that he would um visit the cemeteries at night and and he'd actually claimed that he had at least visited at least 40 different times and you know it wasn't the same cemetery every time either i think there was multiple cemeteries but he would wake up in like a day state and often leave empty-handed but on nine occasions, he had left with newly buried middle-aged women that resembled his mother. Huh. 
So he's really missing her. So when you talk about like the days like state, you mean like kind of like he blacks out when he goes there? Or? That's kind of what it sounds like to me. Like he doesn't know what he's doing. And then all of a sudden he's aware and he's yeah. like, I'm halfway into this grave. What am I doing? Yeah. And then just like moves on with his day. There's an open <laughs> grave here. But um, yeah, that's kind of what it sounded like to me. Um, so he's digging, he dug up his mom. He's digging up other women that look like his mom. He would actually like monitor the obituaries of these women and find women who have, who'd passed away, you know, and if they resembled his mom or whatever, he would go after the funeral on that night and he would dig them up and he would take whatever parts he wanted. And then he would recover the graves and just leave them in good condition so that nobody would notice. Yeah. And I mean, these are freshly buried bodies anyway. So, I mean, as long as you're covering it back up, no one's going to realize, yeah, you know. Pretty normal. Yeah. So is he just trying to build like a Franken mom? <laughs> He's building a something. So um, he claimed that he never had sex with any of the corpses because they smelled too bad. That's the only reason. <laughs> oh, nope. This one smells too that bad. Smells Put it back. However, he did admit to masturbating to them. Oh, just as bad. Right? So, I mean, there's some necrophilia type stuff going on. Around this time, there's actually an increase of missing persons cases in, like, his area. Yeah. So, they, in a lot of the sources, they kind of... um hint that they think he was responsible for a lot of these but a lot of them were never pinned on him they never came back to him yeah. and he never admitted to any of them either so now i get to tell you he's not making a franken mom he's making a woman suit is that like a super suit <laughs> it's super gross suit <laughs> honey where's my super gross suit <laughs> So he's making this woman suit out of the bodies that he's digging up and he's wearing this suit like around his house and he's dancing outside in the moonlight. Like he's having did, himself a ball. Did he have them put the lotion on its skin where it gets the hose again? Uh, they weren't alive though. These were already dead people. He can't he make them. He didn't put. have Joe dirt. He didn't put the Joe dirt in a hole. Mm -mm. he's digging him up from the hole like i said from a young age he wondered what it would like was would be like to be a woman and he would actually use the female genitals from their body from the bodies that he dug up and wear them over his own genitals and giving himself a sex change kind of like without I, giving himself a sex and change. i think it's like for the time period it wasn't something that was even really mentioned let alone like nobody would admit to that back then like yeah. he would even like he had a vest that had like the breast sewn onto it and everything like that he would wear it's his breast vest <laughs> <laughs> i wore my breast vest out today not vest breast vest <laughs> so on december 8th of 1954 um tavern tavern owner mary hogan is actually reported missing and the only evidence that something happened was a spent twenty two caliber shell casing and blood on the floor. Police had suspected foul play, but like her case went unsolved because, I mean, there was no suspects or anything. And um, she kind of ran with a rough crowd and they kind of just chalked it up to it caught up with her, like her yeah. past and everything. So... Um, on November 16th of 1957, so three years later, there's nothing in between these three years either. Like, nothing at all? Yeah, it's like almost like that first, which, I mean, I haven't told you yet, but obviously he killed her. Otherwise, why would I mention her? He just went silence of the lambs. <laughs> so, like, he, nothing in between. He just, it's like it satisfied his urge. And for three years, nothing else. He he said he didn't even dig up bodies in that three years. 
He's just like, I already got my skin suit. I'll be all right. <laughs> but on November 16th, 1957, Bernice Warden was reported missing from her hardware store by her son, Deputy Sheriff Frank Warden. Um, he came to the store around 5 p.m. to find the register missing and blood on the floor. And there was also an unfinished cell slip for a gallon of antifreeze sold to Ed Gein. And Frank had told investigators, you know, when he contacted them, that Ed was in the store the night before. And he had mentioned that he was going to come back in the morning for this antifreeze. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously... It's an unfinished cell slip. He's the last person to see Bernice. Yeah. So um, one resident actually reported seeing the store truck leaving the back of the store around 9 a.m. that morning. And nobody really thought it was weird that the store wasn't open because, I mean, it's a small town and it's also the first day of hunting season. Okay. So really, I mean... A lot of people were out hunting. Of the couple people that might have come, I think it said there was a couple people that showed up and was like, oh, weird, she must be hunting. Yeah. So they didn't really look that much into it. So, you know, Frank sees the cell slip and he tells the police, you know, this is what happened. He was in here last night. He's the last one to see her alive. You know, you need to go find Ed. So the police... Um, went and they arrested Ed at a West Plainfield grocery store where he was at. Um, when the police go to search the farm, this is where it gets real bad, everybody. So if you're not ready for the blood, guts, and gore, move along. Um, or just plug your ears. Just plug your ears. Ear muffs. <laughs> so when they go to search the farm, they first entered through a shed where they found Bernice's naked and decapitated corpse hanging by her ankles with a crossbar. She had been split from her vagina to her sternum and filled dressed like a deer. But it was the first day of hunting season. You're going to send us straight to hell. Why do you say (laughs) these things? Sorry, it just came to my head. So all of these mutilations were done post-mortem. Ed had shot Bernice at the hardware store with a twenty-two caliber rifle. He then dragged her body out of the back of the store and he put her and the cash register into the store's truck and drove him back to his house where he did like, all well, the rest of his work. She won't need this money anymore. Right. He's like, might as well take the cash register. <laughs> um, upon entering the actual home, it was police entered basically just a house of horrors. 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 Like our listeners. Oh, yeah, you little horrors. um they said it it smelled horrible there was rotting garbage everywhere just clutter trash everything like it was hard to even find a path to walk it was so bad and dirty but nonetheless here's a list of things they did find at the house are you ready no to hear them again sure okay so they found whole human bones and fragments of bones they found a waste basket made out of human skin. They found several chairs covered in human skin. Human skulls attached to his bedpost. Ten female skulls with the top sawed off. Bulls made of human skulls. So, you know, if you wanted to have some cereal, you got a bowl for it. There you go. A corset made of human skin from the shoulders to the waist. Leggings made out of human leg skin. So the corset, was that boobs included? I believe so, yeah. It was everything from, you know, the top of his shoulders or her shoulders. They weren't his shoulders. Well, they were on his shoulders. I mean, he wore the shoulders. (laughs) But from the shoulders down to the waist. And then, you know, the leggings made out of human leg skin. And all I can think of when I think of that is, you know, those leggings that actually do look like legs, like hairy ass legs. Yeah. That's what I picture. They're 100% real leggings. They are. Yes. I think I would rather wear the fake ones. Yeah. <laughs> um, there were nine masks made from the skin of female heads. 
there there's Leatherface. Um Mary Hogan's face mask in a paper bag. So this is where they learn that, you know, that's what happened to Mary. And so I didn't mention this before, but after Mary had gone missing, because Ed was actually a um frequent visitor of the tavern. Yeah. Um, one of his friends or acquaintances had mentioned something about if Ed would have paid more attention to her, um, spent more time there, maybe she would be cooking him dinner instead of missing. And he was like, oh, I've got her back at the house now. And the guy just thought it was an off-color joke, you know? <laughs> he literally had he her back at the house. He literally had her back at the house. That's, so She's not making him dinner. He's making dinner out of her. Yes. <laughs> so her face is in a paper bag. Her skull is in a box. Not to be confused with hag in a box. Definitely not. She was not a hag. She was not. I mean, she, she might could have been. been. She could have been. I don't, I don't know, Mary. Was That was the one that was in with the wrong crowd, right? Yes, she was. So she, she could have been a hag in a box. She could have been a hag. Um, There was a box of vulvas, including his mother's, painted silver. That's a nice. The vulvas, not the box. That's a nice vulva. <laughs> not a volvo a volva volva um bernice's head was in a burlap sack a belt made of human nipples that would be very interesting to see <laughs> i don't know if i want to see a nipple belt kinda, i don't know why but it came to my head of those little remember back in the day when those spike belts were a thing Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like the little metal spikes around spikes them. It's just the nipples. The nipples. <laughs> That's horrible. Uh-huh. So, and then there was four noses. And this one is the one that gets me every time. I don't know why I hate it so bad. But there was a pair of lips on a window drawstring. Like, that was, you know, the little plastic piece at the end of the string for your lines to go up and down? Yeah. It was lips. So you did like little fish hook inside the lips to. I don't. I don't know, and I don't want to see it. I can lines. only imagine. Ugh. So then there was also a lampshade made out of human face skin. Um, Bernice's heart was in a pan on the stove, and organs in the refrigerator. So those last two, where they get like the Silence of the Lambs kind of Hannibal Lecter stuff. Yeah. So. Um, He's he claims he never ate any of them, but also why would you have the heart in the pan and the organs in the fridge if you were not eating them? So yeah, they that's where they got the Hannibal part. Um so where did they get the like Norman Bates kind of the mom, the obsession with his mom mom? dressing in her clothes because he would dress in his mom's clothes too in his woman suit. Oh, okay. Sorry, I forgot to say that. He would put the woman's suit on and put his mom's clothes on. So, um, during the investigation, Ed admitted to marrying Ma- Mary Hogan. Which... Marrying Mary Hogan? Oh, my Lord. <laughs> um, during the investigation, Ed admitted to the murder of Mary Hogan. It was said in a few sources that the sheriff, Arthur Shelley, slammed Ed's head against the table during the interrogation. Roughing him up. He was pretty mad. I mean, he had right. to find Bernice and all this horrible I found stuff. all that crap inside somebody's house, too. I'd probably be slamming their head into stuff. <laughs> right? <laughs> On November 22nd of 1957, Ed was charged with the robbery of the store, but the murder charges were actually being held back to, to, to determine, like, his sanity. So if he wouldn't have taken the cash register, he would have been fine. I think they... Because he's in, like, a... Like a mental institution right now. Yeah. And I mean, I think they still would have kept him there and just built their case. But for the time being, they were like, well, we'll just get him for robbery. So um, the psychiatrist that interviewed Ed determined that he was a schizophrenic and a sexual psychopath. What? Right. It's shocking to no one. (laughs) Right. At Ed's hearing on January 5th of 1958, he was declared legally insane and returned to the Central State Hospital for the criminally insane. And he was sent there indefinitely. 
After 10 years in the mental hospital, um, Ed was declared competent to stand trial. So at the trial, um, he was found guilty of murder of, of the murder of Bernice Warden. But it was determined that Ed was insane at the time of the murder and declared not guilty by reason of insanity. So basically, they just wasted everyone's time by having this trial. But right. Yeah. That's and right. they sent they we sent know. him back to the institution. Like, we know he's insane. He had to have been insane then. Let's just try him anyway. <laughs> try me. <laughs> try me. Do fool. it. Try me. <laughs> um, on July twenty sixth of nineteen eighty four, Ed died from respiratory failure. I also seen that like he had some sort of cancer and started kind of going senile towards the end. But a lot of like the nurses and stuff that worked at the hospital, um. Said he was just a model patient. Was it very skin, polite? Skin cancer? Oh my gosh, no, but that's so bad. Oh, basically, that's my story because he's dead. Um, anyway, so I got a lot of my material off of like Murderpedia, Wikipedia. Um, there was one source that was uh, basically just a timeline of his whole life, his crimes, and all of that. And it was a paper from Dr. Mike Amount of Radford University. University. <laughs> Dr. Mike Amount of Radford University. And for that reason, we out. We out. All right. We're back from our 48-hour break that we took. <laughs> <laughs> our unexpected break. Our unexpected break. And Brian is going to tell me a chilling tale. Let's hear it, Brian. I'm going to tell you a chilling tale of the black-eyed children. Ooh. Not to be confused with our children. Who are also demonic. Or the black-eyed peas. <laughs> yes, don't, don't confuse them with the black-eyed peas. Also, shout out to Trish for um, suggesting this to us. So. Yes, thank you, Trish. Hit it, brother! All right, so the black-eyed children, or black-eyed kids as some people call them, are an American legend of paranormal creatures that resemble children between the ages of 6 and 16 years old. With pale skin and black eyes who are reportedly seen hitchhiking or begging or even encountered on doorsteps of residential homes. I've seen those kids on our doorstep before. Hopefully not. <laughs> They're called my children. <laughs> Go away. <laughs> we don't want you here. Just kidding. I love my kids. They're very good. Sometimes. Sometimes. Let's be real. So these kids kind of do resemble our kids. These children do not look threatening, but want to get into your house or your car. Ugh. Yeah. They also, you know what? They are always trying to get my car and go places with in me. our house. They're like, "Hey, let us in!" Like, no, you see how sad we belong. <laughs> so they will be persistent, and suddenly you will notice something isn't right about these children. Their eyes, pure black from eyelid to eyelid, dead, like dead black orbs. Some people claim that these children have existed since the 1980s. However. Most sources say that the legend originated in 1996 when a Texas reporter named Brian Bethel wrote about two alleged encounters with these black-eyed children. I'm going to go into two stories of these black-eyed children. Um, first one is a little bit more, almost more gory, I guess, than the second one. Gory? Like, there's more stuff. Eerie, happens, maybe? More eerie. So, here goes story number one. Of the black-eyed children. So one of his stories goes like this. In the snowy town in the middle of nowhere of Vermont, an elderly couple heard the sound of three loud knocks on the door. They opened the door and saw two children, a boy and a girl. Parents will be here soon. May we come in, said the children. The children didn't make eye contact and just stood there in the doorway. The elderly couple were hesitant, but after a while, they let the boy and girl inside. The kids settled on the couch, 
while the wife made some hot cocoa and the husband asked them questions that went unanswered. The wife returned and noticed that her cat was scared and angry with the children. May we please use the restroom? asked the children. The wife looked at the kids and she finally saw them. These children's eyes were as black as the starless universe. She directed them to the bathroom and returned to her husband, who was covering his face with his hand. Did you see their eyes, said her husband. The husband then showed her his hand full of blood from a nosebleed. The power suddenly went out and the house turned as dark as the kid's eyes. The wife then headed to the restroom and was confronted by the voice of kids at the end of the hall uttering, Our parents are here. The kids then exited the house, leaving the door wide open. The wife then noticed that there were two men at the end of the driveway. The men were very tall and slender. The wife waved, but didn't receive the same friendly gesture. The two men and children then drove away together in one car. The power then came back on a little bit later after the kids left. Throughout the next week, weird things happened in the house. Three out of their four cats went missing, and the fourth had been found dead in the pool of its own blood. The husband continued to have nosebleeds and finally went to the doctor where he was diagnosed with very aggressive skin cancer. And that is the end of the first story. So, like, he never had any issues until they got there? Like, no nosebleeds, nothing before that? All the information I found was he was very healthy before they let these kids into the house. Oh, my gosh. That is scary. So, it's like, like, did he look into their eyes, or was it just, like, them being in the house, does it say? I think it was just them being in the house. Like, being allowed in? Yeah. Yeah, because from everything I read, like, unless they're given permission, like, they can't just come into the house. Like, you have to give them permission and let them in. Ew. I don't like that. Right? (laughs) And, I mean, I I was also curious, too, as to who the so-called parents were. There were the two guys at the end of the driveway. If it's, like, a, like, maybe alien-ish or, like, a ghost family or something. I'm not too sure. To me, like, with... What I've always thought, like, for black-eyed kids, like, I know they don't ever come out and, like, oh, this is what they are, this is what they are. But I feel like they could be, like, some sort of, like, alien type thing. Like, with the black eyes, just weird. And then, like, the parents you're seeing are, like, these tall, slender figures. Yeah. I don't know. And then for them to just know that their parents are there. Right. Seems crazy. I don't know. Like, alien. They probably got probed and that's what gave him skin cancer maybe i just don't remember <laughs> i got their memory away but yeah i mean that would make sense just all the stuff that people talk about of their depiction of aliens kind of reminds me of like you said the tall slender beings and the deep black eyes that it just very fitting i guess yeah i agree so in that case, I will head on In that case. to story number two called The Midnight Caller. It almost felt like a dream. I woke up to my dog, Lucy, barking. She was upright on the bed where my husband and I were sleeping with our 22-month-old daughter, staring at our door like an unknown stranger was out there rummaging around. I thought she was just freaking out over a house noise. We'd only had her for three months, and she was still a puppy. It could have been anything. Our roommate, a creak from the house settling, the awnings moving outside on the breeze. Wasn't too concerned. I decided the best bet would be to open the door and show her nothing was there. Sounds a bit silly, but it's what we do with our daughter when she gets scared, and I figured it should work with the puppy as well. I opened the door, and she raced to the front door. She stood there, snarling at the door. It was an angry, violent growl, one I had never heard her make before. I looked groggily at her and opened the door and showed her everything was okay. The second my hand reached for the deadbolt, Lucy went wild. She started barking, and and she jumped toward me, and when I touched the metal, she suddenly changed her temper. She whimpered, almost like she was afraid and backing down. As her mannerism changed, so did mine. 
wasn't calm anymore. My heart was racing and sinking at the same time. I had been flooded with a mixture of fear and dread. I looked through the peephole, and I can't explain why I looked, but I did, and saw two kids outside. One was just a smidgen shorter than me and didn't look much younger. I'm 21, and she looked to be 16 or 17. She was slender and pale. Her hair was a light shade, honey blonde, and she wore it long about mid-back with long, thin, blunt bangs in the front that covered most of her eyes. She wore jeans, a light wash that's popular right now, and a thin-looking olive-colored pullover-style hoodie. She held the hand of a small girl who looked to be around three or four, in the same style of jeans and a button-down ivory cardigan. The smaller one looked at the floor shyly, but had the same shade of hair tied back in a ponytail. She held a stuffed toy under her arm, and it was identical to one my daughter has, as was their style of dress. Had it not been for the feeling of overwhelming dread and fear, I probably would have asked these children in and given them some hot tea or hot chocolate to get them out of the bitter cold. Something about them seemed off. At this point, I hadn't made any noise. I hadn't shushed the dog or grumbled. Nothing. I hadn't turned on any lights. These kids had no indicators. I was at the door. The older one spoke. She had a voice that was mature, confident, strong, and accentless. She held her head tilted downward, and I couldn't see her eyes. She said, We have to use your phone. I stood frozen in fear. How did she know I was there? She raised her head to face me directly, and that was when I saw her eyes. There was a reason I couldn't see them through her bangs before. They were black or midnight blue or a dark, dark purple, and they were otherworldly. She said, Our mother is worried. As someone who has always been interested in creepy stories, I knew what she was the second she looked at me through the door. I have never been one to believe in these things as a staunch atheist and skeptic when it comes to the paranormal. I had written off many a ghost story from friends and family members eager to tell their tale. I didn't believe it. Still, I couldn't rationalize my way out of this. I was standing with nothing but a thin wooden door between me and a black-eyed kid. There was no questioning what was right in front of me, I didn't answer her, but slowly and silently backed away from the door. Lucy, still cowering at my ankles, she kept talking. Just let us use your phone. I took another step back, and with that step, the tone changed. At first, she seemed polite, but when I took the second step back, she became commanding, almost hostile. We're not going to hurt you. If we wanted to do that, we would have broken in. I'll ask again. Can we come in and use your phone? Lucy snarled at the door, and I inched backward, though something inside me seemed to be slowly pulling me back to the door. It wasn't a physical pulling so much as a subconscious need to go back and let them in. I got to my room, covered up the window, locked the door, and sat there in the dim light of the nightlight. I heard her call me back to the door once more, then it got quiet. I didn't go back to sleep at night and haven't slept right since. I know from reading that black-eyed kids can't just come in without permission. When I told my husband, he said it was just a dream. Ugh. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't like like her how she knew she was there without her ever saying anything. Yeah. And then, like, for her, like, as she's backing away, being, like, getting more angry, like, she knows she's leaving. Yeah, she's like, you will let me in. Oh, I don't like it. It'd be so, oh, it would make you so uneasy. Well, it's like the fact that these kids were, like, dressed in the same fashion as her kid and had the same stuffed animal as her kid. And it was just. Yeah. Creepy. Yeah. I mean, uh, dogs are super smart when it comes to stuff like that, too. So, you know, when your dog's, like, oh, getting yeah. super aggressive and stuff, you're like, that's definitely not, like, a good spirit at all. Right, yeah. That's, ugh. But nowadays, people still claim to see the black-eyed children when driving late at night down an empty road 
or outside of their window late at night, or even lurking in the shadows of their room. Mm-mm. Right? Mm-mm. I mean, just reading, just reading that, like, chills went up my spine. Like, it just it freaks me out. I mean, could you imagine, like, one of our kids could really F with us. Right? If they knew. If only they knew. Right? This next part kind of reminds me of stuff you have going on. <laughs> so many people have reported seeing the black-eyed children standing in the corner of their room during their episodes of sleep paralysis or even waking up or even waking up in the middle of the night because they sensed someone was watching them and in the shadows were these children. Oh, I hate this. I hate this so much because I have sleep paralysis. I get it quite often. I mean, not as much lately, but I've had it since I was like young. Yeah. So it stresses me out. I mean, you know this story, but I'm going to tell you guys. Um, one night, our kids had went to spend the night with their um, grandma and Brian's mom. And I'm sleeping. I'm facing Brian. And, like, the window and the wall to the outside is to my back. And I just hear from behind me my sweet little Lennon's voice. Mom, can I sleep with you? And immediately, I knew that it wasn't him. And I was like, Lennon's not even here. Lennon's at his grandma's. And I mean, it was just like, nope, nope, nope. You're not here. This isn't real. And this is all while I'm experiencing sleep paralysis. So when you're having sleep paralysis, you know that you're that's what's happening. You're conscious of that. And so... For me to be in sleep paralysis, hear his voice, know he's not there, it was terrifying enough. And then as I'm saying no, his voice starts getting deeper and more, like, demonic. And it was just like, Mom, can I sleep with you? Mom, can I sleep with you? And it was just terrifying. And then, you know, you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad that's over. But... I told Lennon after I saw, you know, when we picked him up and everything, I'm like, you are not allowed to ask to sleep in my bed anymore. You just get in. Like, don't even ask me because that was so terrifying. That kind of reminds me of that last story where when she, as she was backing away from the door, like it got more demanding. It was like, you will let us in. Like, we need to use your phone. Right. And it's almost like a panic, an angry panic, right? Like they want your permission. Yeah. Oh, that! Thanks, Brian. Thanks for the nightmares. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm here for you. I'm gonna wake you up. <laughs> oh, so that's what you got for me. That's all I got this week. All right. Well, I liked hated it. You liked slash hated it. Yes, I liked slash hated it. You hated it. All right. Well, thank you guys for coming back and listening to another episode. Yeah, it was a good time. Lots of gore and it was a good time the first time. The second time it was okay. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm having fun. Um we're learning lots and you know, through our mistakes and whatever. So it's been fun. And um, you know, go like the show on whatever platform you're on, rate the show. Um when you guys give reviews, it kind of helps other people find us. So we really appreciate when you do that. And anything else you want to say? Go submit more names to our Instagram or Facebook. Yes. I will put another poll up on Instagram. But the Facebook group does have the um, the question up there. Yeah, the question up there. It's You can just put in the comments what you think. And also, I know we probably don't have that many listeners right now, but as we grow, and I mean, even if there's any of you guys that do listen that have your own stories that you would like us to tell um, about anything paranormal or true crime, submit those in our email at deathlyafraidpod at gmail.com. And in the subject line, just put... um, listener story and 
we'll get you put on here. Yeah, we'd love to hear them. We'd love to read them. Um, yeah, we're super excited for what's to come. Yeah, this should be a good week next week. I got a good one picked out. Ooh, I'm excited. I didn't even know you had one picked out. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks, and we'll see you next time. See you guys next week. Bye.